Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is entitled The King of Truth, and it's based upon the lectionary readings for November 25th, 2018. I did some Google searches this week for recent headlines featuring the word truth. Here are the lines that popped up most often. The death of truth. The assault on truth. Notes on falsehood. Our post-truth world. Though the articles focused, unsurprisingly, on contemporary American politics, their concerns reach beyond the political to engage a more sinister and existential reality. We live in an age of untruth. Politics notwithstanding, we are steeped in a culture of blatant lies, sly exaggerations, doctored images, wild conspiracy theories, and fake news. Objective facts, for all intents and purposes, no longer exist or matter. The true is false, the false is true, and anything can mean anything. What does the sobering situation have to do with the lectionary? Well, this week the Church celebrates the reign of Christ, a liturgical hinge between the long season after Pentecost and the beginning of Advent. This week we pause to reflect on the meaning of Christ's reign over the Church, the world, and our own lives. What kind of king is Jesus? What does his rule look and feel like? What does it mean to live and thrive under his kingship? If Jesus is king, then who or what is not? To guide our reflection for this climactic Sunday, the lectionary gives us a rather odd gospel reading. Do we get to see Jesus in his kingly glory, transfigured and dazzling on the mountaintop, perhaps, or rising from the waters of baptism with heaven thundering in his ears, or performing one of his more spectacular miracles in front of an adoring crowd? No, we don't get to see Jesus in any of those majestic guises. Instead, the Gospel of John offers us a picture of Jesus at his physical and emotional worst, arrested, disheveled, harassed, hungry, abandoned, sleep-deprived, and standing before the notoriously cruel Pontius Pilate for questioning. If I were going to write Jesus into a kingly scene, this would not be the one I'd write. But if there is any story about Jesus that can smack all smugness out of us, all arrogance, all gleefulness, all scorn, surely this one has to be it. Our king is an arrested, falsely accused criminal, a dead man walking, His chosen path to glory is humility, surrender, brokenness, and loss. Okay, but what does any of this have to do with our current crisis of truth and untruth? Consider the exchange that takes place between Jesus and Pilate. Are you a king? Pilate asks Jesus repeatedly, annoyed perhaps that a bedraggled peasant is taking up his valuable time on a tense and busy weekend. You say that I am a king, Jesus answers cryptically, implying both that Pilate's question is the wrong one and the Pilate's assumptions about power and kingship are irrelevant to the ways of God. Then Jesus continues, For this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate's response echoes down to us across the ages, a question to end all questions. What is truth? We'll never know if he asks his question out of contempt or curiosity, hunger or anger, but it doesn't matter. Jesus doesn't respond. That is, he doesn't respond with words. He doesn't engage Pilate in philosophical dialogue or offer the governor a pithy bumper sticker. Instead, he embodies his reply with the whole of his life. You're looking at it, his silence implies. You're looking at the truth. I am the truth. In other words, truth isn't an instrument, a weapon, or a slogan we can smack on a refrigerator magnet. The truth is Jesus. The life of Jesus. The way of Jesus. The love of Jesus. He himself is truth's most complete and complex embodiment. What does it mean in our post-truth era to worship the King of Truth? 
What does it mean to belong to the truth in a culture that increasingly denies truth's validity? Perhaps most importantly, how can we bear witness to embodied truth, complex truth, truth as an incarnation story of birth and life and death and resurrection in a world that prefers sound bites, tweets, and clever New Yorker cartoons? As I reflect on this gospel passage, it seems to me that one of the most urgent tasks facing the Church on this Christ the King Sunday is forging a robust but gracious, urgent but respectful relationship to the truth. If Jesus came to testify to the truth, if he is the truth, if he is the king of truth, then what do we, his subjects, owe our king? What does loyalty to truth look like, here and now? Well, if truth is king, then fake news is not. If truth is king, then self-deception, however expedient or attractive, is not. If truth is king, then lazy relativism is not. If truth is king, then distorting inconvenient facts for our own political, racial, social, cultural, religious, or economic comfort is not. Even as I type these words, I'm painfully aware of the Church's long and miserable tradition of using the truth to consolidate and abuse its own power. Over the centuries, we have excelled at using truth to colonize, enslave, reject, and dehumanize those we conveniently call our others. But that's not the kind of truth Jesus calls us to belong to. The truth he embodies in his life, death, and resurrection is not instrumental or self-aggrandizing in any way. It does not serve to bolster his own power and authority. Quite the opposite, it humbles him, it breaks him, it takes away his life. As far as I can tell, Jesus doesn't privilege any version of truth that sidesteps humility, surrender, and sacrificial love. He doesn't secure his own prosperity at the expense of other people's suffering. He doesn't allow holy ends to justify debased means. He doesn't make honesty optional when the truth strikes him as inconvenient, and he never aligns himself with brute, dishonest power to guarantee his own success. This is our king. Can we stand for the truth as he does? Can we belong to the truth as he does? <clears throat> Can we tell and keep telling the beautiful, hard, cutting, joy-filled, pain-filled, powerfully undeniable stories we know to be true about this Jesus, this gospel Jesus whose very identity is truth, and whose best expression of power is surrender. Soon we will enter into Advent, a season of waiting, longing, and listening. Soon we will walk into the expectant darkness, waiting for the light to dawn, for the truth to reveal itself, for the first cries of a vulnerable baby to redefine kingship, authority, and power forever. Yes, we have good reasons to fear the erosion of truth, but we are not a people bereft of hope. The king who reigns will not abandon us. Truth will survive. It has died and returned to life already. The truth lives, and we belong to him. For books this week, Dan reviews <clears throat> Waiting for the Last Bus, Reflections on Life and Death by Richard Holloway. Richard Holloway is a former Bishop of Edinburgh and primus of the Scottish Episcopal Church. He's written about 30 books in the last 40 years, most notably an award-winning memoir called Leaving Alexandria, A Memoir of Faith and Doubt in which he discusses his loss of Christian faith. The outspoken and controversial cleric has described himself as an agnostic after-religionist. Holloway has also written for a number of prominent newspapers and is a regular on BBC radio and television. This little book originated as a series of broadcast essays on BBC Radio 4. In these reflections on death and dying, Holloway is at his best when he draws upon his own personal experiences and his pastoral anecdotes. The death of a child, the funeral for a life that was not well-lived, a spouse who cannot move beyond the paralysis of grief, etc. One of the healthiest things we can do, he suggests, is to move beyond the many cultural denials of death and accept it as our natural end rather than a lost battle. 
We should let the past go, cultivate gratitude for the beauty of what is, and learn the art of self-examination with as much candor and compassion as we can muster. Holloway himself seems to be an annihilationist, that is, after death there is only the, quote, absolute cessation of life. I neither desire nor expect life after death, he says. In his view, we don't even know if the show has an author. He admits that his own view invites troubling questions not only about the cessation of one's own life, but also of the entire universe that generated it in the first place. He even says that he continues to think of myself as a religious man. Yes, he admits that his position irritates both atheists and believers. His only response to living in this murky middle of a mystery is to reject binary black-and-white thinking and to get over it. Holloway seems to enjoy his notoriety a bit much, but he's a reflective and observant person who draws upon a broad diversity of sources, art, poetry, painting, music, history, philosophy, and the complexities and nuances of the human experience. I enjoyed his last book, A Little History of Religion. Just don't expect any affirmation of the central confession that Christ conquered death. <clears throat> For movies this week, Dan reviews Andes, Kingdoms of the Sky. The 40-million-year-old Andes form the world's longest mountain range, stretching 5,000 miles along the western spine of South America through seven countries, from Cape Horn at the southern tip of Chile to Venezuela's north coast on the Caribbean. This is a place of extremes and superlatives, as the breathtaking photography and narrative of this one-hour documentary make clear. There are the cloud forests, the 6,000 feet that get 20 feet of rain a year. The Atacama Desert is the driest place on Earth, where some weather stations have never recorded a single drop of rain. In the central Andes, there are 160 peaks that are at least 18,000 feet high, including the famous Inca ruins of Machu Picchu, which 500 years ago was home to an empire of 10 million people. The Andes also boast over 200 active volcanoes. Andes is the third of three episodes called Kingdoms of the Sky that were made by PBS in conjunction with the BBC, and the superb production quality is just what you would expect. This is television at its best. The first two episodes explore the Rockies and the Himalaya. I watch this movie on the PBS website. The three episodes make for a perfect family movie night. Finally, for poetry, on this last week of the season after Pentecost, The Answer by R.S. Thomas. Not darkness, but twilight, in which even the best of minds must make its way now. And slowly the questions occur, vague but formidable for all that. We pass our hands over their surface like blind men feeling for the mechanism that will swing them aside. They yield, but only to reform as new problems, and one does not even do that, but towers immovable before us. Is there no way of other thought of answering its challenge? There is an anticipation of it to the point of dying. There have been times when, after long on my knees in a cold chancel, a stone has rolled from my mind, and I have looked in and seen the old questions lie folded and in a place by themselves, like the piled grave clothes of love's risen body. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for November 15th, 2018. I'm Debbie Thomas.